welcome to this podcast of our new series, Anything But Ordinary. Anything But Ordinary. You looked at me for a moment like we should have said it together. You want to try it again? Yeah. Anything, Anything But, but ordinary. ordinary. Much yeah. better. Yes. <laughs> it's a little bit of a play on words um, because we're doing it during ordinary time and Sanctified Art puts out this series and I really like their resources because they care so much about the visual art and helping people reflect in all sorts of ways. Um, They don't put together scripts for services. They don't really put together a ton of preaching notes. So there's a lot of freedom to address the issues our community has or that might come up from the text, but a lot of resources to help supplement that conversation. Cool. Yeah, so ordinary time is kind of, Pentecost goes on forever, right? It does, yeah. And so it feels like ordinary, so it just became ordinary time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, the whole Pentecost fire thing wears off after a bit, so, you know, <laughs> fire, it, become, it becomes ordinary. It's a burned out. Yeah. It's a burned out. Yeah. And uh, the thought is going through, um, really, the Abrahamic family tree and some of the stories we might have heard as kiddos um, that are worth our revisiting because they are our stories. Yeah, one of the things I think is is important for us to keep kind of touching back to is that these are these are not just our stories as Christians, but they they had their roots in the Judaic Bible, and they're also mm. in the Quran as part of the uh, part of the stories of the um, the Islamic community. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there we are joined as people of Abraham, children of Abraham. Abraham. So we'll be covering this for twelve weeks. <sighs> And we are excited. You're along for the ride with us. Hang on. Welcome to this episode. Yes. (laughs) It is a recap of... um, the middle of our anything i don't even know what number this is anymore maybe the fifth i think you, you, i think yesterday was the fifth yeah and uh it's the fifth in the series of anything but ordinary yeah out of 12 and we 12. are anything but ordinary that is for certain yes um if you notice i sound different this is jess i just have a little bit of a cold so bear with me i'm feeling a little bit under the weather <laughs> Yeah, and I realize without seeing my face, people might be like, who is that on the podcast? It is me. Do you, in fact, have a cold? Because I've been, ever since the Canadians, the Canadian fires, mm. I've just been dealing with sinus and throat irritation, and it's not, it's, I don't feel bad otherwise. Yeah, I, I messaged my doctor, because um, I took a COVID test on Saturday, just, you know, we had some extras lying around. Just, might, just, might as well. Just for fun. Who doesn't love a, a jab up the nose? And, of course, it was negative. And then I'm like, I don't have a fever. I don't have any symptoms. I didn't have a head cold. Yeah. But my voice is just kind of going. So I, I do think that did really bother me. So, yeah. I wonder if you all are dealing with that as well. I hope I hope we can recover uh, our air quality so we can everybody be Everybody as well, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, we do have a sermon to talk about. <laughs> that is also anything but ordinary, in addition to our air. Yeah, and it was um, in Genesis 25, really the birth, and then the, the first part of the Jacob and Esau story. Yeah, so give a listen to the uh, scripture and the sermon if you haven't already, and uh, we'll be back at you in just a few minutes.
Hear now these words. These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is to be this way, why do I live? <laughs> so she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. When her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle. So they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff for I am famished. Therefore, he was called Edom. Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is his birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. A word of God that is still speaking. Amen.
Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we are in the middle of our Anything But Ordinary series. We're walking through the Abrahamic family tree and tracing that lineage through Genesis. We've started with Abraham and Sarah. We've heard of Hagar and Ishmael, the binding of Isaac, Isaac's marriage to Rebekah last week, and this week. We are learning about the birth of Isaac and Rebekah's sons, Esau and Jacob. Throughout this series, we've talked about the power of story to impart divine wisdom, and today will be no different. I want you to think about the last time you grasped something, desperately grasped something. I had two thoughts that came recently, and I couldn't remember which came first. But recently, I dropped a coffee cup I really love, and on the way down, I tried to catch it, and I grasped it so hard, I broke it. <laughs> That's how desperate I am for coffee in the morning, I guess. <laughs> and the other was when um, our Polly, who's two, was um, you know, trying to get to our van, and his seat's on the other side, and we were parked on the street, and he was about to run into the street, and I grasped that little arm so fast. I let go and then I held him, but I was desperate, right? I wanted to stop him from going where he should not go. We also understand grasping as a metaphor for us, for those things in life we want to hold on to that are just out of reach. And we see both today, the metaphor and the literal in our story. And throughout this message, I want us to imagine, to dream together about a world without grasping. What's so beautiful about this story and so much of the Hebrew scriptures is that there is a micro level of lessons for us to learn, right? The interpersonal between this family. But there's also a bigger picture for us and a macro lesson for us to learn. But we'll start first with these brothers. These fraternal twins started fighting even in the womb. They were wrestling around so much so that their mother was just over it. She was done. You can imagine. Esau was born first, followed by the smaller Jacob, literally grasping his heel. Jacob means leg puller, right? That's the meaning of the name. Um, and it's not really, like, we use that today as someone who's pulling your leg in, like, a sneaky or, like, funny, tricky way. And this, this is more so, like, usurper, right, or overreacher. This kind of means something a little stronger, the name Jacob. But here's the thing. In the world they were born into, friends, there can only be one. One inheritor. One who receives their father's blessing, even though their mother's womb could provide for both of them, even though they were born seemingly seconds apart, this world dictates there can only be one, and it's Esau. Esau is big and brawny. 
Even from birth, we learn he is hairy. <laughs> he is red and ruddy. He is macho. He is a man's man. He is a skilled hunter and outdoorsman. Um, I kind of picture him like Gaston from Beauty and the Beast, like with red hair, a little hairier. That's what I see. We talked about the concept of Midrash before. It's stories that the rabbis wrote about stories. And in the Midrash, they kind of hold that he's, uh, Esau's kind of a jerk. He's not really a nice guy. He knows. Um, he knows he has everything in the world handed to him, and he kind of acts that way out and about. He is brash. He is crude. Everyone knows he is his father's favorite. He will receive both the inheritance and his father's blessing to carry on the family legacy. It's a big deal. Jacob, on the other hand, is not brawny, apparently not hairy. He is not a man's man. We read that he likes to spend his time in the tents, indoors. That is also a code for the place where women hang out. <laughs> Was not expecting that. Love it. Um, so we learn he cooks, right? He's cooking the stew. He is his mother's favorite. He will not inherit anything, nor will he receive a blessing to carry on the family lineage according to the way this world works. Now, we know Rebecca, hearing this prophecy that her secondborn will lead, right, she knows something is in the works. So it might make sense for her to make Jacob her favorite. Why she doesn't share this prophecy, no one knows. Maybe she did. Maybe Isaac didn't listen. We don't really know. What we do know is that this is a life of conflict for these boys. It was set up that way. A world of haves and have-nots, even within the same family, even within the same uterus at the same time. Whew. And we get to this point where Esau, rather thoughtlessly, trades away his birthright for some lentil stew. I like lentils, y'all, but <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> Who knows what he's thinking? Was he assuming that his brawn and his father's favoritism would allow him to win it back and that no one would hold him to it? Probably. But he was rash. He was rash. Something that came so easily to him, he would trade away for stew. Whatever. No one's going to believe Jacob. And Jacob was cunning and wily. Presumably his brother was hunting for food for their entire clan. Why wouldn't he just feed his hungry brother? He had to trick him into giving away his future for his present hunger. At this point, let's just consider a world, what the world would have been like if they didn't just have favor for this one kid. If the rules were different so that no one had to grasp so desperately to power, Isaac was a rich man. There was more than enough for both kids. They likely could have used their gifts together to continue building so that all around them could prosper. Maybe they'd have less than one of them would have together, but who needs more money than you can spend in 10 lifetimes? Esau had everything handed to him, but Jacob, Jacob had to hustle and plot. He had to deceive to get anything for his future to survive. There was only one birthright, right? There was only so much pie, so I'm going to get mine, no matter who I have to step on or trick that is in my way. 
We understand that. That is often how our world works today. Enoughness is not how we understand our society. But what if it was? God's beloved community is one of enoughness, where everyone has enough. But that's not what we have now, and that's not what we have in this story. Instead, we have this story where Esau was born right. right? The Esau's of the world, they conform to every societal standard. They are physically strong. They look right. They adhere to cultural norms. The world is their oyster. Birthrights and inheritance is, of course, theirs. Esau didn't need to be thoughtful. He didn't need to be introspective. He didn't need to be a critical thinker. Like, why? He received privilege by virtue of his birth. He never interrogated whether that was right. It simply was. And it was good for him. So why question it? The Jacobs of the world are aware they aren't born right. They don't look the part. They don't have the privilege. They are second-class citizens and have to scrape and scrap for everything. Their mother's blessing doesn't count for anything because she's not a man and she has no power. Jacobs know the cards are stacked against them. Jacobs are not born with the right identity. They are easily picked out for disrupting societal norms, for disrupting the status quo and societal expectations. Now, I'm overgeneralizing, right? We know there are more than just two types of people in the world. But the points of this story simplify a timeless truth. There are some people who are born fitting what society expects of them with immense privilege. And then there are some who are born and their identity, their mere identity is perceived as a threat or less than. A threat to white supremacy, a threat to gender roles, a threat to heterosexuality. The cost of being born not as an Esau in the world is often the denial of human rights, unfair scrutiny in the justice system, lack of a representative government, lack of access to capital or even jobs, and at times the threat of mob violence and hate crimes. And we see parts of that reflected in our story today. And so Jacob, aware from the womb that he was doomed to be a have-not, used cunning and trickery, overreaching, to trick his brother and then later deceive his father on his deathbed to get what was rightfully his brother's. That's a hard way to live for all of them. This decades-long struggle for power, grasping his way out of his fate, of his birth, that is not without consequences. Like Andrea said, God will use anyone in any circumstance or any situation, but that does not mean that our actions don't have consequences. While some might interpret Jacob as like this hero underdog, the father of Israel, later named Israel, we'll read that story together. He fathers 12 sons, they're the 12 tribes, but things are not always hunky-dory for him, or for Esau, for that matter. Jacob has to run away. And um, individually, personally, later, he is injured. His hip and his leg are injured. Isn't it interesting that the one coming out grasping a leg has his leg injured by God? Also, his kids lie to him. 
and they cause him great pain. The legacy of deception continues. It is now generational. On a more macro level, this conflict arising from this birth creates a years-long cycle of violence between the Israelites and the Edomites, Esau's tribe. There's so much violence stemming from this birthright scenario. But what if a different kind of birth was possible? What if there was no right birth and Esau, instead of growing up believing he would inherit more riches than he could ever need, grew up knowing he would always have enough, but he also would have the richness of human connection? Instead of always having to have this hard life out hunting and being an outdoorsman, he could have experienced some softness. He too could have been held softly, spent time in the tents also laughing and singing with the women. The kind of masculinity Esau exudes is not only problematic for everyone else, it is for him. The demands of being a man often mean giving up this kind of connection and interrelatedness. If you're a macho man, you don't need anyone else. But that's not how God actually created us. In a different context, I was talking about this a while ago with two friends who are trans men. And they were talking about how quickly they learned that masculinity was really lonely. They thought they would have all these bros and they would finally get that kind of male connection they were looking for, but they said, no, I have not found that within masculinity. That connection is not present and I'm lonely. There's not the same kind of relationships as I had when I identified as a woman. And I've thought about that a lot. Imagine a world where Esau could have experienced connection and introspection and love instead of always this hard, solitary life. What about Jacob? Jacob was whip smart. Right? He was always a little tricky, a little tricksy. <laughs> Imagine a world where the Jacobs have enough. They weren't always paranoid. They weren't always questioning whether they would be accepted. They could use their cunning and their smarts not to merely survive, not to convince other people they are worth anything. They could use their intelligence for the betterment of the world, for all of us, instead of all this energy they have to use just trying to get a crumb of what anyone else has. They could help all of us if we ensured they initially had what they need instead of scheming about how to get ahead because there is no path for them. They could be scheming about what God would have for all of us. I hold this different kind of birth is possible. I think this is what God dreams for us. And it is literally anything but ordinary. We have the ordinary still today from the birth of Jacob and Esau in our world and God tells us these stories to paint us new pictures so we don't have to repeat the same patterns. And we see that, right? We see that throughout scripture when there are these stories where there is a first and a second, God will choose the second. God will choose the marginalized. God will stand in solidarity with whoever is being told they don't belong in the circle. 
And we can dream and imagine a world where there is not a first and a second, where everyone has enough. And from our dreaming, perhaps we can start putting those pieces into place in the here and the now. We too can stop generational cycles of obscene wealth and generational cycles of violence. We here can start new cycles of enoughness, truly making our world on earth as it is in heaven. So with this story, today I want you to consider what are you grasping onto that buys into a narrative of scarcity, of only so much pie? And I want you to imagine opening up your hand. And perhaps in your letting go with our open palms, we will receive so much more. May it be so. Amen. All right, we are back. We are back. I would say we're better than ever, but you were probably the same. <laughs> we are we are even less ordinary than ever. <laughs> well, all right. Uh, so this has been a, a series uh, wrapped around Abraham, as you say, and we're the generations click along, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, last week I did the piece on... Uh, on the marriage of uh, the preparation for marriage of Isaac to Rebecca, and uh, this week we have um, th- this this unusual tale of twins, mm-hmm. uh, Jacob and Esau, and they are in battle from the moment of conception, apparently. Yeah. Uh, at it in the womb, and uh, mm. Rebecca's kind of had it. Yeah. And and does what? <laughs> goes and gets it checked out right oh <laughs> with god like, it says mean? to god what are you doing here yes yeah, yeah she has some uh, you know serious some, questions. We, we might have gone to a pediatrician she went straight to the source yeah not not to her OPGYN, uh, which i'm sure were prevalent uh, nor to midwives which actually were present but uh right. ask god what was going on and god foretold that's <laughs> it i hate to give you bad news but yeah. this is going to go on for a bit um this is a tough text. Hmm. This is a tough text. Right? After I mean, the binding of Isaac, I'm like, well, Whoa. yeah, I guess, I guess, true. <laughs> it's all relative. True, true. It is relative. They are relative. Oh wow. They are. So, so talk a little bit uh, because you didn't go terribly deep into um, kind of the, the the symbols of the of the brothers. What's what did you? What are you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you had some typology going on, but didn't go terribly deep into that. No, you know, I, I think you and I have for four weeks spent a lot of time doing some contextual stuff and um, also talking about narrative and story. So I really, this week particularly, I wanted to focus on um, the story in and of itself and do a little bit less of that just, uh, just to kind of give us a chance to live in the story and what that looked like and what that might have felt like um, to provide an example of like, hey, we can actually, th- these stories are still very meaningful, even though you have heard us do a lot of explanation about the point of story, the, the reason we have these stories, the context of the stories, 
but I did stay surface level story kind of within it to try to not do as much book ending as I often do. Um, because I, this one I think lent itself to that a little more easily in my, in my brain and in my praying, um, in terms of what to, what to say. Well, you, you started by talking about grasping mm-hmm. and, um, this, the text has, uh, Esau emerging from the womb first with Jacob holding on to the heel. And it's a wonderful, wonderful yeah. image. Uh, holding onto the heel, heel, grasping the heel, and you talked. You kind of took that to another level of you know how do you grasp anything? You talked about grasping yeah. your coffee cup and <laughs> <laughs> and breaking and your, it and your thirty-two ounce uh, styrofoam cup that we had at lunch today. Of my iced tea, I grasped yeah. that as well. Yeah, yeah, mostly um, beverages. <laughs> so, so what was the grasp that you might <clears throat> you might want us to to have as we hold on to Jacob and Esau? Yeah, well, I think the point of that is um, our society sets us up, if, if we play by its rules of systems that are already going, we are set to grasp. And, and grasping is something you do um, out of depra- desperation to pull yourself up. You can't really grasp and not be tense. You know, like if you're, if you're grasping, it's kind of a, a I don't know, it's an intense motion, and there's a lot behind it. It's not just like, I'm going to kind of reach for something. But the grasp requires um, singular focus on whatever you're trying to achieve or reach. And I I think what I wanted us to grasp is that we can create a world where we don't have to hold so tightly to resources, to ideals about identity or you know current conventions or... We just we don't need to do that, and, and God creates a lot of curiosity within us and also a world that has all of the resources that every single human might need. And if we were to grasp less tightly to those, perhaps we could be a lot more creative about what that might look like. Um, and I don't want to denigrate folks that have to grasp because often it is it is the marginalized. Um, you know, I was kind of thinking about this too. I remember... In D.C., um, we were with a friend, and there was someone who was kind of panhandling, and they had a little bit of a story, and the story involved them traveling one direction, and then we saw them a little bit later, and they were traveling another direction, whatever. And um, the friend we were with was like, that's why I don't ever give my money to panhandlers. And I'm like, okay, I can kind of, you know, whatever. That might be your choice, but have you ever been in a position, you know, where you are so desperate (laughs) to have any sort of resource where you just had to do what you had to do? Um, in order in order to get by and is that do we really want to demonize the human being in that situation or a system that makes someone have to literally beg for food or transport and, and what could we really be doing about that um, so that's kind of that's kind of what I wanted us to take away from that yeah I thought about uh, I thought about it a lot last night um, because we use that word grasp in so many ways in our culture and we use it in ways that are um, that that show the desperation of people. Mm-hmm. We also use it as a way to compliment people on their intellect, on their ability to grasp uh, um, deep deep concepts, or uh, to grasp the the wonders of the universe. So this this mm, if you have a really, really good grasp on yeah, something, really mm-hmm. good grasp on something, um, and yet the the flip side is. It's all the people trying to grasp some yeah. share of something in this world. Yeah, they're really grasping for that, that kind of grasping yeah. at straws. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Um, Esau, 
Esau had he he had the ability to survive. Yep. Um, he was, he was skilled hunts person. Uh, he had he had daddy's eye because he was able to hunt game, and dad apparently loved game. Sure. Interesting Bible line, right? Uh, yep. <laughs> Just weird things that show up there. Uh, uh, Jacob Jacob loved uh, loved the meat. So um, uh, not Jacob, excuse me. Uh, Isaac loved the meat, and Jacob is kind of portrayed as a tender, uh, a mama's mm-hmm. boy. Yeah. Uh, and yet wily. Uh-huh. Uh, and he, and Jacob is after something more than this moment. Esau seems to be living in this moment, mm-hmm. content with what he's got, uh, except he really wanted the lentil stew. Sure. Haven't we all been there? <laughs> uh, not personally, but I know you have. <laughs> I, I would, yeah. Grasp would, at that I lentil stew. I would give stew. up a lot for Bob Salam's lentil stew, to be fair. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That that is pretty amazing lentil lentil stew. So so the red man wants the wants the red stew, and mm-hmm. Jacob gives it to him in exchange for Esau's birthright. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, the story will go on. Uh, Jacob's blessing. Uh, excuse me, Isaac's blessing. I'm going to get the characters straight one of these days. I know well, the generations have just moved so quickly through these. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so this this grasping within the family the family is all after something mm-hmm. and uh, I think the the drama for for me as I read the story is um, really really begs the question what are we grasping after you know what are we what are we expecting of this God and this faith we hold uh, you know God gives gives the bad news quotes air quotes <laughs> uh, God gives the bad news that this, these twins are going to be are going to be struggling right mm-hmm. along. Um, so I have to ask myself why and, and what part do I have in the struggle between those who grasp for the minimal and those who grasp for the more? Mm-hmm. Uh, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, hopefully that's where I ended, that's where I wanted to end, is where where are we grasping at things that might be more in line with this kind of doggy dog world where we are kind of set up this way and have been apparently for thousands of years as humans are want to do it and want to live into scarcity even though another birth is possible like there's there isn't there is an alternative if we would stop grasping and clasping clasping so tightly those words are getting hard to say yeah <laughs> yeah so i I, it does make me wonder, and there are places too um, where, in family dynamics, we can kind of see. I, I'm guessing this these stories and this story particularly, some of us could relate to, and we could understand. That's what I really love about these stories, and why I don't think they get preached as much. As much fun as it is to go through Romans and like Paul's treatise, <laughs> theological treatise, some of that feels very theoretical and it feels very like you have to really think about it. These stories just get you in the gut. And like if you've had a sibling that you've had a rivalry with in any capacity, you're like, oh, um, you know, they're, these are just real human stories that kind of I think we can relate to in ways um, we maybe don't expect and are maybe even a little uncomfortable often for us. So I think in that sense, they um, they really help us evaluate and consider and think through who are we in this story? Um, who do we want to be? You know, how can we grow? Are there lessons 
you know, these are foretelling um, if we're on the same journey that we can learn from of of what God might have us do. That's what I I find that so compelling about this whole family tree um, scenario. And I'm gathering that there are others, um, you know, in the congregation that are too, that have come up. I'm I'm sure to you, I haven't heard, but like, are like, Hey, I haven't heard that preached. That was really interesting. Or I was not, when I heard that preached, it was in a vastly different way. And I'm thinking about it in a new way now. I just, this has been really life-giving and wonderful. And I think the Jacob and Esau saga is one of my favorites because there is ultimately some sort of reconciliation. Although um, this this kind of conflict and generational cycles of conflict and violence, unless you do a lot of intentional work, they do not stop. And we don't see all of that work coming to fruition and you see some of the consequences of that moving on. And for me, that's a big lesson. Yeah, you know, we were both, um, I think, are fans of uh, succession. Yeah. And there's some of that going on here. Oh, yeah. You know, this is, these are, these are um, twins born into a family of privilege. Mm-hmm. And it's not just privilege in this moment. It's privilege moving forward. It's uh, privilege of manifest destiny. God has given this land as far as they can see. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter who happens to be in their way. Um, and and apparently not good enough for the two of them to to deal with that. Uh, Jacob wants to be the front the front runner on that, and and that really is um, the challenge that we have. Is I think as as contemporary American Christians, particularly progressive, where we might get this intellectually and how to have a hard, far harder time putting it into practice in terms of what that means, and in terms of how we're going to live and move and have our being in this world. What kind of things we're going to advocate for for change? Uh, what what's it mean for us to be stewards of everything we have? So, I, I mean, I think that's a lot to put on this story. Except, <laughs> except that these were the ones who are granted the birthright for the rest of the story, which yes. is which is the the expansion of of the Jewish nation, mm-hmm. uh, which then we claim as a birthright. Uh, to some degree, as as uh, as followers of Jesus, who was who was uh, one of those Jews. Yeah, you know, spoiler alert: Jacob has twelve sons and Dinah. <laughs> you know, and those <laughs> Dinah we just throw in there, twelve sons. You know, the the tribes of of Israel and the Israelites kind of come from there. So it is interesting that this is um, where we trace a very far time, a very long time ago, our our faith roots, and. The story that is being told is one not enough of us have gotten over um, or have heard enough of because, like you said, in success, we see it pop up all the time. A really um, a, a ruler in some capacity, someone who has a lot of access to privilege or wealth or power in some way, and then their offspring mm-hmm. who are just, you know not not holding it together very well and figuring out what that looks like and having a lot of inner conflict. Um, so we see that not only in story, we, we've seen it in hierarchies of families and royal families and that oh, sort of stuff. In, in presidential office, in yeah. all kinds of ways in which power begets power and um, <clears throat> power that, that, that is not tempered in some way by, by values and, and faith uh, mm-hmm. becomes problematic for sure 
And so we clearly have not, from, from thousands of years ago, <laughs> from these stories originating in that time to present day, they're still remarkably relevant. I think particularly this one. And I see it sometimes, you know, it's hard because I don't know any billionaires and I never will. Um, and so there is like, yeah, the obscene wealth, we, we do need to deal with that. But that feels further removed. I do know people um, that have a parent die that are executors of a will and are in a really, really tough yep. place where things can get really, really ugly. Um, and we see some of the same dynamics in the story come to play. Absolutely. You know, so I, I know of more situations personally like that um, where we, we see this pop up. And I think it's interesting the story um, Jacob and Esau speak to, speak to that experience in a way that I think could be helpful or just generally. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think so. And I think to loop back to your to your grasping piece, I think we as... as um, as Americans in particular, uh, feel this need to hold on mm. to stuff. Um, a friend of mine uh, married a, a Korean national, and uh, when he came to this country, he said, "Why do why do Americans need to collect things?" Yeah, and it's a it's a fascinating question, uh, but we certainly do like to hold on to stuff, um, and not just stuff. We like to hold on to power. We like to hold on to position. Um, I do. Um, you know, I've held on to this position for 23 years. Um, you know, hopefully not grasping my, by my fingernails too much, but, but still held on to it. And it's interesting because when I go to spiritual direction, when I do, do therapy uh, and we're doing body work, you know, the opening up of the hands mm-hmm. uh, and the, the prayer positions where the hands are held loosely in a, in, a, in a uterine position to give birth to something, those are open positions. Mm-hmm. And we don't, we don't do that very easily we want to do the grasp thing the letting go thing is a whole nother thing and it's why we struggle with jesus when he's when Mm. he's telling us to let go um and uh and 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 release some of the stuff that we carry uh to god yeah and i i've been thinking about this a lot too and i've talked about this before um but years ago when i was really getting serious about claiming an anti-racist identity I learned that, uh, you know, it wasn't really about learning as much as I could necessarily as learning a little bit about who I am and where I come from and what those people experienced because that generational trauma lives into me. So when you're speaking about Americans wanting to hold on to things, so many of our European ancestors fled here um, and were oppressed and did uh, did not resolve that trauma in any way and frankly inflicted more trauma. Um, onto, onto indigenous people here or, or many people that they marginalized in all sorts of ways. And the ways that lives on generations later where learning can affect people at like a cellular level, at a DNA level. So in order to stop some of the generational cycles, um, not only is it intentional action, like I'm not going to spank my kids X, Y, or Z, but some of it is really interrogating and learning about that Um that backstory of where we come from, what they went through and how we want to proceed in the world. So we don't just unknowingly <laughs> live into those. I mean, it's fast. Like I have manner mannerisms of my, my grandma. I have not been sure. around my grandma in decades. She yeah. died. And it, you know, there are things like that, that I have to be really um, thoughtful about, particularly with my Christian identity and anti-racist identity that I think are 
related to this grasping, how we just have this kind of, oh, circle the wagons and hold on as tight as you can because you don't know what's coming. Um, And yet I'm here and (laughs) pretty safe and want to do work opening up my hands such that my kids and their kids might be able to do a little bit more in distributing resources in a way that is equitable. All right. Good there we final, have it. Good final word. Good mm-hmm. final word. So what are you this, preaching on next week? Um, this coming week. Um, mm. Yeah. The stairway to heaven. Oh, yeah. Stairway to heaven. <laughs> There's a lady who sure. Um, no, we'll be Jacob's dream um, at, um, at, the, at the house of God at Bethel. And um, yeah, it's where he, where he falls asleep with a stone for a pillow. And lo and behold, has weird dreams. <laughs> Go figure. Well, uh, if but, that fascinates you, tune in. <laughs> yeah, and it's a continuation of what we've just been talking about because it is it does uh, have to do with the confirmation of of um, of birthright. Mm-hmm. Generational promises. Generational promises. Well, we'll see you back here sometime next week. Yeah, we have uh, Kalamazoo Service Project, so we'll have to figure out how that happens. We will, but we will. We'll podcast one way or another. We'll sit outside uh, when the, when we're having the wild Wednesday <laughs> water and, and shaving cream fight. It'll be great. I'll All be right. there. Thanks for being with us today. Yep.